Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. I'm Sarah Weiss, your host, and I'm so happy to welcome you today on a sparkling, cool winter day where the frost is making everything white and the sun is glistening off the little crystals in the the frosty snow. So enjoy the light that's coming through to you. Today, my guest is Nuria Sabato. Nuria and I have been friends for a very long time. We share the Sufi path together. We have been students, initiates, and teachers in the Sufi lineage for many years. And she is just so brilliant in the way she communicates the path, the value of the path, and how the spiritual practices transform our everyday life. That the real goal of spiritual practice is to dive so deep within you that your heart turns inside out and becomes the beaming personality of you in everyday life. So help me welcome Nuria, my really good friend and spiritual sister. Welcome, my dear spiritual sister, Nuria. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure. Oh, and you asked me to do this, my heart leapt with joy and absolute certainty to meet you in this way. And it's such a, it's such a delight to be with you. It is. Uh, It's, I can't wait for the listeners to get a taste of your energy, your heart and the, the light of your being. You know, we've been friends for so long and whether we're close in location or conversation either way we're supporting each other with the light of our hearts and i appreciate you so dearly and and i you thank you so much so nuria um, has a varied and deep spiritual background and i would like her to give a little um give us share with her us her background uh, because it's so interesting oh you know, I always, I always think now at this point, I hear the, the sound of music playing in the background. You know, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So I hope you'll be patient, and I hope that this will find its way to the recording, because I, I think it's part of, you know, definitely shows who I am. So just a little bit, just from, <laughs> I, I was bored. <laughs> I was born <laughs> in an Italian Roman Catholic family. I think that's interesting because, you know, how do you find your way to Sufism from that? Um, you know, I come from a group of creatives. My grandparents on both my mother's and father's side were born in Italy, which really speaks to my heritage. And, and I, I'm so proud of that heritage. And I feel that connection to me, to myself, to my heart, to my spirit. I feel Italy. You know, I always say I'm where, I'm where Renaissance meets modern, if you get that. You, you, most people will understand that. Um, but on my mother's side, they were engineers. They were stonemasons and builders, so very creative people. And my father's side were all tradesmen uh, and dealing with leather, leather goods and leather good repairs. My grandfather, Sabato, in fact, was a shoemaker. That's how he came to America and traveled to the Midwest, was on the working with the railroad, um, repairing shoes and making shoes for them and building the railroad. So I, I can only say this, Sarah, for as long as I can remember, and I suspect you're this way too, I had a very active inner life. I could see things that other people couldn't see, and I could hear things that other people couldn't hear. I was, I was a, in a world of kind of lyrics and song and poetry and uh, beautiful uh, inner experiences. Although at that point, I don't know that I was distinguishing what was inner and outer. They were seamless for me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you can imagine, you've known me long enough, you know that I'm rather precocious and I was <laughs> at a young age. And I started speaking, believe it or not, in full sentences at nine months old. Whoa. Okay. And I haven't quit speaking since. I haven't quit talking since. But at any rate, <laughs> I always, I felt 
like I wanted to connect with my family. So I tried to explain what was going on because they'd say, who are you talking to? What are you, what are you looking at? You know, and I tried to explain it. And I think they, they tried to reassure themselves by telling themselves that I had a vivid and overactive imagination, which landed me in school at age four. Well, you know, that might be a punishment to some children, but for me, I loved it. I loved school. I always have loved school. And you know that my career was as a professor and I, it was such a great career. So I never really, really got out of school. And of course, isn't life the biggest school of all? You know, at three years old, this was also, I think, some significant and pivotal that I lived through a tornado. And I think maybe even until now, that tornado um, touched the widest area and it was completely devastating. And, you know, I, I, I honor all those people that lost their lives in that tornado. It was kind of at the beginning of the development of the Na National Weather um, and um, Emergency Services. I don't even know if they had it at that point. People were just listening to radios, so they were unaware of what was happening. And we certainly were as well. I was with my mother and my godmother and my godmother's son, and we drove right into the tornado. It was literally following us. I'm not figuratively, literally following us down the, down the road. And we managed to get inside um, my godmother's house who was next, next door to our home. And at that moment, we found that we just jumped under the dining room table. We had no other recourse and the house imploded. And, and then, and I remember my mother and my grandmother, or not grandmother, godmother were pretty severely lacerated um, with that implosion of glass. And I remember my mom, you know, she was, eerie it was very eerie she looked at me very calmly and said well kid this is it goodbye <laughs> oh <laughs> yes uh, yes and the last thing i remember was the ceiling lamp just jiggling 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 like uh, i don't know a kind of interesting vibration and hearing that sound like was like a locomotive and the vibration was very intense i remember looking at that lamp and saying i you know i heard in myself I know what you're saying, mom, but I don't think this is it. This isn't the end. I knew that. I had a lot of certainty about it. Well, at any rate, after the tornado was over, we were buried in debris and we had to dig our way out. And when we dug our way out, what we saw was the whole house was gone. The only thing remaining was the table and the front wall of the house. Wow. And I have to tell you, this is pretty amazing and was pivotal for me. I, three years old, in front of that house, there was a rose bush and dangling on that rose bush was a rosary. And the medal on that rosary was the miraculous medal. Mother Mary, mother of Jesus with her arms outstretched. And not only that, stuck in the ground was the little rosary case with that same metal medallion. And my mind said, oh, this is, I looked at my mother thinking, this is my earthly mother. And I looked at that medal and I said, this is my heavenly mother that's always going to be here and protect me. She'll always be with me. So it was a real changing point for me. And it confirmed something about those inner and outer experiences. And um, it, was, it was comforting to me. And that, that connection with spirit that was at that point so visible outwardly really helped everything after that that came. Every triumph, every tragedy, every struggle, every blessing, which is all blessing, I have to say. But, you know, it, it reassured me that there was something else there watching over me. And also, as a young child, and I'm about done with that, is that I had a curiosity in religion. And most children try to run away to church. I ran to church. So, being raised Catholic, those listeners that were, you know, it's kind of a, uh, we're kind of required to be very loyal uh, to the, to our, our faith. Uh, and it's not typical that you would, other than weddings or funerals, attend other churches for their ceremonies. But my mother was very progressive. And, you know, my parents separated when I was quite young. And she figured, I guess, she can't get in much trouble in church. I'll let her go. And I, I wanted to go with all my friends. And then people would say, well, what'd you learn there? And I said, well, I learned that they pray differently and do things a little bit differently. But 
you know, they're going to the same place and that place is God. I mean, there's all, everyone's heading that direction. And it really came to me at a very young, young age. It doesn't matter what vehicle you're driving on that journey. The, play, the goal and the destination are the same, you know, self-realization and God realization. Well, this continued, you know, all through my life, this is how it went. And in the mid thirties, I was introduced to Sufism. And that was also a miraculous experience, perhaps for another podcast. But uh, someone come from an herb store came up and said, I think you should meet the Sufis. It's like, what the heck is a Sufi? You know, anyway, I came to find out all these years later. And um, that's also when I found the message, uh, Sufi message of Hazarat Anayat Khan, who is a 20th century uh, Sufi mystic from India. He was very much a universalist. He grew up in an integrated, so to speak, religiously household and was uh, fascinated also with different faiths. And uh, so he brought this message of spiritual liberty and the unity of religious ideals and a, a, a number of inner esoteric practices. Um, there are many, there are five schools within this tradition, which deals with healing, esotericism, a universal worship service, which is a honoring all faiths, um, a, 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 a practice of what is we call Zarad, but it's looking at uh, the environment. And one could say that is an external environment, but it's all an internal environment. And um, so these are the different schools that we think about. Oh, and there's the brotherhood, sisterhood. How are we in community? How do we serve others? So these were the schools that he established. And it was through this uh, that, that Sarah, you and I met, remember, in that retreat, mm -hmm. Spiritual Healing in Upper State New York, and we met each other. We had never seen each other, but we absolutely knew each other, and we've be, been good friends ever since, and I appreciate that so much. Yes, dear hearts together. Wow. Okay, yes. so let me ask you this. I just, as you were speaking, uh, yes. something occurred to me that I wanted to ask you about. You know, when we have these early experiences of ecstasy and connection to the divine, mm -hmm. um, and and they're not able to be spoken in the context of our families or our culture. Yeah. I'm, ju I'm just wondering how, um, how your positive nature uh, mm -hmm. was grounded in this and how that might have set you apart from other people. You know, I, like I said, I started speaking at a young age and I think there might, there may be, there's a, there, there's a, 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 a skipping child in me, but there's, I think, very old uh, soul also. You know, I, I can embrace both those parts. And somehow I would look around <laughs> in my life and uh, my experience and I would think, oh my goodness, uh, I can understand things that I don't think anyone has the knowledge of here around me. And it didn't, it was, in a way, it was isolating, but, you know, uh, it developed. Uh, yeah, I think if people uh, were describing, I think certainty and, and confidence, is, you know, those are some things that I, I think are associated with my, the qualities, some of the qualities of my personality. They're not who I am, but I had this deep certainty. There was nothing that was ever going to make me doubt my experiences, nor did I need anyone to affirm them. I understood that people could not understand what I was experiencing. I didn't, it didn't my being didn't require them to understand that. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm hoping that other people that are listening on this podcast can be reaffirmed in their own experience and become confident in it like you are. Because it creates a whole different ground of being and approach to life that is so exciting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't even imagine... Uh, not having a life filled with ecstatic experience, you know, from the from the very beginning, I shared that as well. And I, I look around and I say, if you haven't had that kind of experience, what's your reference point for being here? And that actually can help us segue into our major topic for today, which is yes. what you wanted to share uh, some practices and teaching on, uh, which is the topic of resilience and where that comes from in us. Well, and it's exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That ability to, 
to um, overcome um, cynicism, mm -hmm. um, maybe external and internal, because sometimes we have those internal voices. And, you know, it's the ability for us to continue to bounce back, you know, that it's like, uh, it's like being a super ball, if you all remember that. Uh, but, you know, that ability to, when we struggle to correct ourselves back into balance, when we falter and fall, come back into balance, when we fail, learn from it, come back into balance. So in a way, uh, resilience has to do with, with about the balance and the ability to, to come back, to go back to some sort of original state. And that's not an original state of what we necessarily identify with, unless we're identifying with the divine. That's what I'm talking about, like reconnecting to that divine spirit. And it may manifest to people in different ways. I mean, it could just be the sublimity of nature or the, 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 the quality of a beautiful piece of music or, you know, whatever that is that connects you to something beyond yourself is very, very important. And I think resilience has been something I've thought about for a very long time as I've watched my own experience of kind of bouncing back from, you know, difficulties and, and, and back to you know, a more whole, holistic state. But it also has to do with many things. It has to do with our environment. It has to do with our bodies. It has to do with our collective humanity and our collective psyche. I know that uh, you, Sarah, have been to Burma and, you know, Joe and I traveled to Cambodia. And when you go to these places where this, there's like a whole generation of people where the psyche you know, has been assaulted for political reasons or whatever the, the, the motivation would be, you feel that deeply. And it's like, you know, to me, it's like, how do we help heal that, you know, and can our practice be contributed to the betterment of all beings? And I, of course, I believe it can be. So, you know, these subjects are, are, are vast, but, you know, they, they're also simply proved like, I'm right now living in Southern Florida, which is green and beautiful all the time, except for during hurricane season. And then we have moments of that. But, you know, and when I used to live in the Midwest, we'd have snow, we'd have, we first we'd have the autumn, then we'd have the snows on top of it. And, you know, that resilience of seeing that first little crocus pop its head up, you know, through the, through the, through the snow, through the leaves, you know, or, you know, that little, blade of grass that finds its way through the crack of the cement. Nothing can hold things. You know, if you embrace those things and you think about if a blade of grass can do that or a little teeny flower, I too can do that. You know, I love St. Teresa, the little flower, because she always looked at the, 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 the most humble flowers in the fields growing naturally as her inspiration and the evidence of God. So, you know, whatever can motivate you to that place um, to find that resilience in yourself you know, is I think very important. And I think right now, this point in history, this pandemic, this is a very interesting time uh, for us um, relating to that. And I think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I'd like you to speak on that from your point of view, yes. Yeah, I wanna say a few things about that. So one of the things is I think that we can see, and that's what I'm also talking about, taking a pause. We need to take pauses throughout the day. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I, um, I, I, I work a little bit and then I have to take a pause and give myself a, a, a recharge, you know, and some of us, you know, I can admit to that. I can be a bit of a taskmaster on myself, but taking that pause regenerates me. So we've done that as a, the whole world has. We've had to take this pause. And um, when we look at the, what the effects of that pause has done, um, and some of them are good and some of them are challenging, but, but you know, I'll, I'll focus on the positive because I like to, I tend to do that, but I can also talk about the challenges that have come up. But, you know, when we look at those photos around the world and how the air and the earth and the water, how it's returning to a more, um, you know, well, state of wellness, you know, that's resilience. If we can just leave things alone for a little while, they'll come back to their natural state. And I think we are like that too. I think we have to find, find ways to come to our natural state. And we know that breath and 
meditation different things will do that but but also it's an interesting time because and it's been a creative time because we're finding new ways of being together apart i've had a brilliant brilliant um sufi and other kinds of masters uh guides uh, mentors you will say none of which lived in my neighborhood or even my town or my home state they look far away, but what does that produce for you? It produces the ability to reach out, to expand, to reach out, to touch their vibration. And we are doing that now as people, and we're using um, technologies like Zoom or Facebook Live or TikTok or FaceTime. And, you know, these technologies, some of them were extremely underutilized. I mean, they were kind of just for fun, but now they're running businesses. So it's an extremely interesting and creative time. At the same time, as I said, people are feeling sometimes isolated. So they're trying to plug in in different ways. Um, and they're also trying to find ways of being alone. And when you're alone and when you're quiet, if you're not used to being a contemplative person, it can be a scary place to be. Silence can be, for some people, I think it actually means death. And I think uh, we often feel alive from having external uh, stimulus and external mirrors. And when we don't have that, then we start to, you know, maybe feel further isolated or, or question, well, who am I? And that can be scary to go into that kind of investigation. But people are also turning to yoga, meditation, prayer, different forms of contemplation, which I think that the psyche is gonna change from all of that. I think it's a very interesting time. I love that you drew the parallel between the uh, worldwide connection through technology and the expansion of our subtle senses to be able to mm -hmm. feel the planetary and connect uh, via the airwaves, <laughs> uh, the subtle connection of unity within us that brings us together on the subtle planes. And let me ask you this. Um, you know, for if we're speaking to someone who is, let's say, super isolated and feeling extremely depressed right now, um, mm -hmm. what what would you say to them about where to begin uh, connecting with themselves? Oh yeah, that's a very good question. I want to come back though. Let's make sure we loop back to the coronavirus at some point. Oh, but I think okay. that connecting yeah. with themselves and connecting with spirit is um, there are just some steps, and we know that you and I do from our training and perhaps others do from their training. But one of the things is to be quiet and be still. I, when I talk to people, I find they're trying to fill it up with other things. You know, that could be binge watching a show on Netflix, or it could be um, excessive talking on telephones or maybe even excessive zooming. But this is like such a gift we're being given. If we could only view it that way of being still and being quiet and when we're still and quiet, it's not always easy because the noise inside becomes very loud. But if we're persistent, if we're patient with ourselves, it will come where this, the stillness will start to emerge from within and there's where the real gold is. So we want to find a way of being still and being quiet. And you know what? I don't think people should start with 10, 20, 30 minutes. I think people should start with two minutes. Set the egg timer. See if you can just follow the breath for two minutes, five minutes. Increase it. You'll see at first there'll be resistance. This is, I think, very natural. We don't want to be still. It's not in the parasympathetic part of the brain. We only survive because we can move and move really fast out of danger. So when we're required to be still, it's like, oh, no, what's going to get me? It's natural. And just being um, lighthearted about that and watching that come, is, it's okay. You watch it. And then it, things will start to quiet. So having solitude, and a lot of us have that. You know, if you're living alone, you have that opportunity for solitude. Now, I want to put this in perspective because um, when I was, uh, I had the opportunities to stay for periods of time in India and live in a monastery. And my teacher would always say, you don't know how lucky you are when I came back to the United States that you live up. Now I'm married, but then I was living alone. He said, it's so much freedom. You get to eat when you want to. You get to go to bed when you want to. You get to go wherever you want to, when you want to. You know, when you have a household, you have responsibilities. You have to coordinate. So solitude is very helpful. 
a busy mom, maybe that's just taking a 10 minute bath and closing out, closing the bathroom door. But you know, somewhere where you can feel yourself, your feelings and your thoughts, you can be alone with those things. Then I think some sort of prayer or some people call it mantra or something that can tether the mind is also very good. Um, I think prayer is very important. Again, in the Sufi tradition, it's called wazifa. Some people say wazaif or mantra in the, in the you know, Hindu and Buddhist tradition, but it's something that puts a seal on the mind. It, it soothes the mind. And not only that, if one can tune, and here's about tuning in, if you can remember these vibrations have been spoken on the tongues and in the hearts people of great devotion over centuries and you tune to that and you can feel something you know i said i was raised catholic and i went to catholic school the first few years of life my life i'm probably that or my school history i'm probably the only one that we didn't want to you know when i couldn't go to catholic school because my mother was then a single mom and couldn't afford it i was sad i wanted i loved queen and catholic school most people can't you know that's their whole reason for things not being right in their lives but i loved it so but and i had great nuns they were not of a particularly mystical order but you know one of them she would say things to me. Uh, I was a little sickly. I think I had a hard time adjusting to the changes in the family when, when the, my parents separated. Um, it was a challenge, but she would do things to protect me, like keep me in from recess so I didn't have to be outside during inclement weather. And she'd find ways of letting all the children know that I had to stay inside. You have to help me. You have to empty the trash cans and you have to do the chalkboard. You know, it it made it seem like I was getting punished, but I knew it was going to be a great thing. I was going to get to spend time with her. Well, she would say things to me. You must remember the breath, the molecules of the breath of Jesus Christ that exist in this universe still exist. Breathe them in. And she'd say, the great symphonies that have been played in all the great halls of music around the world, those vibrations still exist listen to them. You know, she was teaching me in a very mystical way to tune into something beyond the concrete and to listen and to feel and to experience. I mean, how extraordinary is that to be given that at like six, seven, eight, she could see something. She knew something was going on with me. So I had at least had her for a year to support me in that. Right. Yes. So and that's really that's yeah. so funny because um, at an early age, my father, who's an engineer, and I find that engineers really are tuned in to the harmony they of are. creation. Okay. And um, he would be out in the backyard with the hood up on the car, and he would be tuning the engine. Mm -hmm. And I would be three years old sitting there, and he would have me tune in and listen mm -hmm. to when the engine came into perfect harmony. And that was the same kind of original teaching mm -hmm. that we both received. I mean, I can remember that moment. I was only, what, two and a half, three years old. And the ecstasy of connecting the, the world in harmony with the cosmos in harmony was just beyond for a little girl right there. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's really beautiful. So, you know, in our tradition, just getting back to that for a moment is, you know, concentration, concentrate on something. So even if you're alone, it can be a beautiful uh, image that you love or a flower or a piece of music, like concentrate on it and then uh, take that uh, stimulus away and inwardly contemplate, you know, how did that make the body feel? How does that make the mind feel what feelings arose. And then if one can even let go of that stream, uh, you naturally fall into a meditative state. But it's like yoga. You know, you hold an asana, you hold a posture for a long period of time. Then when you relax, something else happens. And that kind of mind training is what's required. You know, we have to really kind of train ourselves to come to that place. But it doesn't have to be complex. And one doesn't have to go to the Himalayan mountains to learn it. One can just naturally learn it in that way. 
And that brings me to something we both share, which is training in art, in the visual arts. We're both yes. artists in that area. And it's something that I see this this parallel between the creative process and the spiritual process and how my interest in the visual world drew me into that kind of concentration and mm -hmm. then into that flow state that became became a mystical state and so i'm wondering how that worked in your life how the creative stream and the spiritual stream came together well, I think it was always there. You know, when I look at when, you know, when, when my mother passed and we found prayer books in her home, there were little pieces of paper from so long ago that had little drawings that I would draw of, I think, what I was seeing, you know. And uh, so I was always, um, there was always the um, impulse to share something uh, externally. But I think more to the point, I think, and I think this is crucial, the level of concentration that it can take to um, create something. And I don't mean just being an artist. I think someone that cooks does that. I think someone that gardens does that. I think scientists do that. I think to be completely absorbed in a thing, we know, we've heard those, um, we know about those books, right? Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance and there's Zen and the art of whatever, but to be so focused on something that we move beyond ourselves, that that is what's significant. And for me, you know, sometimes just walking is a creative act, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be complicated and we don't need to be great designers or, you know, Michelangelo, but we can just, I think that we're talking about in a lot of ways, Sarah, being present being present you know is so important and i think that's a creative act too you know conversation my god i've had some of the best conversations to me that's a, a great art you know so i think that everything becomes art for me it does and you know that just is the way i see the world but i don't know if i answered your question maybe i did well enough that was that was very beautiful so um so Let's move in to how you might, um, what kind of practices you might suggest for people uh, based on your extensive experience and what you can share in that vein with our listeners. Yeah, I think um, for me, again, a prayer has always been um, a tremendous uh, tool, friend, support. And um, not just saying the words, because we can all learn the words, but we're really concentrating it on them. An example I want to give is from the Sufi tradition. Uh, you know, I, I try to make a commitment to say our prayers every day. And, you know, I've said them for decades now. And at the beginning of the year, this one line, I wasn't only saying it, it started saying me. Not only did it start saying me, it'd wake up me up in the night saying me. I'd be walking and all of a sudden it would become the rhythm of my breath or my walk. So sometimes just taking a line that means, maybe it doesn't even mean something because in this instance, I'm pretty sure that line picked me. And it was the, the line uh, to the first prayer of the day in the Hazrat Nikon tradition of Sufism um, that's called Psalm. And it was praise be to thee, uh, Omnipotent, omnipresent, all-pervading, the only being. And those words, uh, those words, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-pervading, the only being, where, you know, this idea that I'm offering praise to that, but it is also the only being. And being all-present, all-knowing, uh, pervading, and, and uh exuding from and through everything is me too and everyone around me the only being and to see that unity i mean it was i probably can't give words to it. it's been a profound experience the other prayer that most people are familiar with is the lord's prayer and that just that line thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven just making trying to make that a reality and 
trying to understand what that means and trying to experience that. So that's a good place to start because a lot of people know prayers. It could be the little prayer we learned when we were children about our uh, guardian angels. I mean, that to me is really a profound prayer. So that's a good place to start because one of the things that happens when people try to meditate, again, is we try to be still, we try to clear the mind, and the first thing the mind does, it's very active. But if we can tether it to something like a beautiful image, or if you're audible to a beautiful piece of music, or to a prayer, it can help us to quiet ourselves. And of course, breath is the other thing. Breath is probably the most important thing. When I taught college and the students were in a frenzy at, at finals, I'd say, everybody stop. You know, they kind of knew, you know, they saw the pictures, the Pope, the Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, my Buddhist teacher, an icon. They were all in my, all my friends were in my office. They said, are these your relatives? So it's like, yeah, actually they, they really are. They're my relatives. <laughs> but anyway, they knew, they knew, they knew I had a lot of uh, travels around the world and they knew that I was interested in all these different things. But I'd say, okay, everybody just stop, take a deep breath in. And we do very, only three three elongated breaths, and they inevitably would say, oh my gosh, I feel so much more relaxed. I feel my mind feels clear. It just stops one spinning for a, a few moments. Just three long elongated, I meaning you know, they're exaggerated, not hurtful, like I'm stretching myself too much, but just those three long breaths. Make more time, make more space, and create a calm environment. So these are simple tools, though. You don't have to be a great, um, skillful meditator that everyone can use and apply in their everyday lives. Of course, uh, I think studying from a tradition that gives you uh, some base practices is really good. But, you know, trying to open our heart, you know, trying to be kind, uh, you know, exercising patience, which isn't easy for us to do to not see ourselves separate than others that, you know, when we see someone faltering, you know, there by the grace of God, you know, that could, that's me, that could be me, that has been me, to ha have a sympathy. Those are all really good things to train ourselves in life. And um, they're tools, they're agents. And uh, but, yeah, so I mean, for me, I like to use prayer. I like to use breath. And I like to use what's called mantra or wazifa. And those are the things that uh, a mantra is something that is, it may take a whole collection of a very long sutra and it condenses it into a few um, sounds that are in the embodiment of the whole teaching. Again, we're setting up a vibration, we're tuning to that vibration. Um, wazifa is the same thing in the, um, Sufi tradition, it draws upon the Arabic, Arabic language and um, prayer in whatever form. But um, those things, uh, they're like seed syllables that awaken the vibration from within. And we can tune to that vibration from without. As I said, all the beings that have said that same sound, we can tune into that and join with that and amplify our experience. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I'd like to um, expand on that a little bit. Uh, the idea of a seed syllable, mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can uh, give a little more teaching on that because that's part of all mystical traditions, but people might not understand what that really is. Okay. Um, a, a seed syllable or any kind of mantric practice is, again, uh, it's, it, we can also talk about it as what happens to our internal mechanism. So what happens biologically and what happens physically and what happens spiritually in our bodies when we're doing this, it will start to set up uh, what I would call, I don't remember reading this, but my experience is a resonant vibration in me that awakens an experience that tunes to that resonant vibration, perhaps externally, because for me, inner and outer, you know, at first they were maybe startlingly different, but they're not, there's more seamless now. So once that gets set up, I can see that quality externalized as well as internalized. But what we are doing to our, 
our being is the breath can uh, activate certain nerve centers in the body that send signals throughout the whole body and can transform our chemistry, which is kind of extraordinary. It sets up an opportunity to really heal ourselves and set up these vibration, which I think is the real, the real healing that happens in ourselves and bringing us into balance. I don't know if I've answered that question. I may get off topic, but that's my experience. Okay, so, so, so let's go in a little deeper. Okay. Um, where the seed syllable comes from, how it's brought forward, and how it's being carried. I think it's, it's, I think it's from the primordial sound. Mm. And I think if you were with a yogi in a field or a jungle, they would be listening to nature and they would be tuning into those sounds uh, and they would be tuning into the cosmos. I mean, now we're getting into Pythagorean, Pythagorean, no, Pythagorean, <laughs> have me there, that word. Pythagorean. But, you know, that's, that's the sounds of the universe. Those are the ever existing sounds. When people say, oh, I have ringing in the ears, I always say, are you sure? Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that's something else happening. You're tuning into that. That's the sound of the universe, which is always there. And those sounds have uh, coordinating colors. They have coordinating vowels. They have uh, coordinating tones. Does that make sense? It sure does. So okay. one other idea I'd like to um, introduce here is what do you think the role is of traditional spiritual traditions? <laughs> uh, sorry for using the word twice, but the role of spiritual traditions in our changing world right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you what, I think they're an entree, they're an entry point for many people. You know, if um, I think that uh, I, I think there's a difference between spiritual and religious, and I want to be clear here. I think religious traditions are an entree to the spiritual. I think if you go, if you go to a church, you know a lot of people are going there. You probably like the people. You feel comfortable there. Then I think when you start to see there's something more, there's something deeper. I want to go further. Then I think that opens the realm of spirit. And then I think, um, then we start to seek in a different way. And that's when the spirit reaches back to us too, I think, because things will come before us. We'll just meet people that say something that triggers something for us, or we see something, or how many of you have said this story? Oh, I was just in the bookstore and the book flew off the shelf. Things get our attention and then we go in that direction. So I think you may want to ask the question again, because I, I kind of can get off topic, but I'm not sure I answered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking about the, uh, what is the value of a spiritual tradition in a changing world? And, and... Oh, yeah, I think lineage, I think uh, tradition, I think having a foundation, I think uh, something, you know, it's like going to those, uh, the great pyramids or, you know, the, the Aztec and Mayan temples, you know, it's like a very big foundation and we can use the steps to climb higher and higher. But starting with that foundation, it, you know, it can stabilize us having that tradition behind us, you know. And I think as much as I'm a creative person and I'm kind of a freewheeler and I, you know, I don't really like to be told what to do. And it's like, it doesn't have to just be done that way, does it? It can be done that way too. I like tradition also because learning, uh, learning becomes, uh, there's a kind of technology to it and there's a methodology to it. And it's like any form of study, you have to go through the process and the steps. It's a matter of training. And I think that can stabilize us and give us a lot of solace to, to fall back into. I love that. That's a beautiful, succinct description because in our world right now, there is a lot of spiritual materialism. You yes. know, how Trungpa predicted this would be happening now. And we get the impression that, um, that, that now spirituality and materialism 
and acquiring have have kind of merged in car commercials and Pepsi commercials, um, and to reclaim the value amidst all this noise and all the change of something mm -hmm. that can stabilize you and hold you as you're learning to go within and so it helps you feel safe and mm -hmm. that it's a technology just like you said mm -hmm. there is a wisdom in how the school can take you through the steps of unfolding in a beautiful way absolutely and it is it is like using a really good recipe and you're going to get a really good end result but you probably don't want it at the very beginning to improvise on the recipe. You want to follow the steps. And I'm all about that. I mean, whenever my teachers would give me a practice, I was so, it, for me, it was like they had just, you know, I love jewelry. So it was like they just handed me the most beautiful gem. You know, I was like, oh my God, I just wanted to be completely absorbed in the, the quality of the practice and discover. Because my first Sufi guide, she, Marshita Viracorda, I'll say her name because she's a very special being. She's alive everywhere now that she's dropped her body a number of years ago. But she would give me a wazifa, which is a sacred sound. And again, it's like a sacred, it's a divine name, a quality. Uh, but in that quality are all kinds of, uh, there's vastness and there's experience and there's knowing and there's understanding. And each one is unique. And so she would give me this, these names. This wasn't a day when there weren't books, really. There was no internet. The way we communicated were through letters. She lived in California. And she'd give me these words, and then she'd say, next month, I want you to write and tell me of your experience. And she said to me, which was very profound to someone that's mystically inclined, has a kind of any kind of clairvoyance or inner experiences, I'm not interested in the phenomena. I don't care if you see in colors or whatever. I want to know what your experience is. And I want to know how it's influenced your life. Mm -hmm. And that made me very aware that these practices aren't fanciful. These are real tools to help us in life and to open qualities within us and to manifest those qualities in the world. It's not just about us. It's how are we, um, how are, how are we giving or gifting to the world through our practice? And through our presence. And through our presence. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, um, Nuria, would you like to share with people how um, they can be in contact with you? We're going to have that in the show notes, but maybe also some of the offerings that are available to the listeners. Absolutely. If, if anyone wants to go uh, to the website, there's a join link. And uh, if you join there, we can send you. We, what we do is we send out um, messages about the unity of religious ideals, because that's another point I wanted to make, Sarah. Okay. If you had the good fortune to study a number of different um, spiritual or religious traditions, you actually see they're not that dissimilar that their technologies, you might say, their methodologies, that there's a lot of similarities. And that's a beautiful thing to note. But so we send out, we try to note that every month, like what are the celebrations in various religious and spiritual traditions every month? We also do classes online and those are available. And we do them through Zoom. So they are somewhat participatory, but they're lecture and doing breath practices and mantras. All of those things can become through the join list. There's also a link to me. If you go to workers, there's a link to my email. And that website, and again, you'll list it in your notes, is um, Sufi, S-U-F as in Frank I, Sufi-message.org. Sufi-message.org. And you can find a, a lot of things there. And you can find a way to contact us, me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share the beauty of your heart and being with us today. I, it's always so nice to contact, to be in contact with you and share heart space, spirit space, light space, and the unity that envelops us all. Can I just say a few more words? Sure. 
Uh, there's a great quote that kind of came to me. I, it, it took my notice as I was preparing to have this conversation with you. And these are words of Hazrat and I Khan. And I wanted to share them and just offer a couple uh, sentences of commentary, because I think this is good closure if you decide it is for your podcast. But the quote is, love is the essence of all religion, mysticism, and philosophy. Love is the essence of all religion, mysticism, and philosophy. And the thing is, is I want, I want to, you know, I ask myself, well, why is love the essence of all these things? And, and it's because when we think about love, when we love something, we want to know it. You know, I want to know, I want to know that person. I want to know that thing. I, I want to understand it. Or maybe it's a subject. You know, I want to know more about it. I want to live with it. You know, I want to become a part of it. Like the, it opens something in us where we maybe forget ourselves a little bit to connect with something else. That's love. And here, if, you, if we can turn it, it may start as sentimentality or a kind of attachment, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is beyond conventional or romantic. That's what Mershid is. Hazrat and Akan is talking about. Beyond that, love. Love in the sense that we can feel empathy. We can feel compassion. We can feel loving kindness towards other beings. We start to become less self-centered and more open in love. And it's like the sun. I love that analogy that the sun doesn't choose. Oh, I only like you. I'm going to just shine on you. <laughs> or I don't like you. I'll hide myself. No, the sun shines on everything with great equanimity, with great warmth, without any kind of discrimination. And if there's one thing I'd like to say to the listeners is be that pure, loving radiance. Just be that. Make that your practice. Keep those words in your heart and in your mind and you'll become that. Just love and radiate. Don't, that's, it's simple, but also a little hard to do. Keep your mind concentrated there. So I send everyone my love, and you, Sarah, especially. So you're so special to me, and uh, I feel uh, you're a great near for me. You've always been that way. I think we were born on the same day, and we share a lot of uh, life's journey together. And so thank you for being a part of my life, and thank you for inviting me to share this time together. Uh, love back at you. Blessings all, and thank you for sharing this lovely space with uh, with Nuria and myself. And I look forward to your comments and let us know how you felt after this episode. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.